Welcome to another episode of the Dentology podcast where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. Welcome to the latest episode of Dentology and today we're joined with Brad Thornton who's the principal of the Ivory Dental Practice in Leeds. Um, he's also a serial entrepreneur and investor in different businesses and a family man. Now I got to know Brad through his own podcast, the Dental Business Podcast, which he started back in 2019. In fact, that was the inspiration for us starting our own Dentology podcast. So I should thank Brad for that. We wouldn't be sitting here doing this if it thank wasn't you, Brad. you that thank dragged you. me on to your, your show at the beginning. So we're not, we're not paying you, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, I mean, our paths have, have crossed in a number of ways through the podcast and we've shared rooms on Clubhouse, um, but we've never actually met. And I think that kind of is the start of the, the modern world, isn't it, these days? You have different relationships with people in different ways, and it's fabulous that we get to do this. So welcome, Brad. How are you doing today? Are you good? Yeah, good. Yeah, good. And uh, yeah, thank you for having me. Um, yeah, brilliant. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Um, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward. How, how many episodes have you done now? Of, uh, so I think we we've probably recorded something like twenty. Um, so we try and do it in the style where we kind of you know batch them up and, and record a few in one go. Only because once you've done the setup and it's going really well, I'm really enjoying it. Mm, you get to meet yeah. interesting people. You hear stories that I'd never heard before. Um, hopefully, people get to tell their own story that helps mm. other people in the yeah. profession. Um, yeah. We've talked to some people who are dentists um, we spoke to non-dentist practice owners we spoke to people from the trade uh, we spoke to advisors yep. it's a real mixed bag of people and it's been it's been really interesting so far yeah well we didn't we didn't want it to be too sort of dentistry because with the best one in the world it can be a little bit dull so yeah. it's like saying to people there's more stuff to go around dentistry and you know you people might learn stuff on you know one we did on investment you know it applies to anybody you don't have to be a dentist to learn how to to, to yeah. want to know how to do investment and how investment works on a, on a very high level. But no, it's been fascinating. Yeah, no, the feedback It's, it's a bit like internet dating, really, because you see all these people that yeah. some, most of them, I mean, some have never met yet physically. So could you give us a bit of background on yourself, Brad, in terms of your, your history, how you ended up in dentistry, why you ended up as a, as a principal on, on the business side? What's, what's, what's your journey and pathway through to where we are today? Yeah, I mean... Um, I guess starting at the, I guess the point where I decided I wanted to be a dentist. I mean, I've, you know, I guess been quite a competitive person. I've done a lot of sport in the past um, and did reasonably well at school. But I, I, get, I never really thought about what I wanted to do. Um, I actually never really gave it much thought whatsoever. And then it was actually still quite early on, but I was tutor in third year of school. So I was year nine um, of high school. So we were choosing GCSEs with 12, I think 13. And he said, right, decide what you want to do for your job and then make a decision choose your GCSEs and basically go from there, set your path down. On that part though, Brad, there's, there's a fundamental flaw, isn't there, that you were obviously very clear in your thinking. I'm, I'm making some assumptions of what you're going to say. But to put 12, 13-year-old in a position that says, decide your path and now choose the subjects based on that, that's yeah. not reasonable, is choose it? Choose the next 50, 60 yeah. years of your life away. 
Yeah, I mean, what I found interesting later on was when I was speaking to friends in other classes, that wasn't like the the, the party line. It, it was literally his opinion. Oh, that oh excellent. He'd gone rogue. He'd gone rogue, didn't he? Yeah, and... Um, um, but it worked out for me actually in the end because I actually took it seriously, went and researched, found dentistry that I thought was interesting and looked like it paid well. Um, and you know, I even, you know, part of my decisions for GCSEs, it was like, right, let's split all the sciences up. You know, I'll do triple science or whatever the decision yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, and my yeah. physics teacher said, don't do that because you're not that good at physics. But I was like, well, no, because I'm doing dentistry, I need to do this. So I did it, then got an A star in physics. So I kind of Proved him wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is that a theme then, in your life, proving people wrong? You know what? I, um, certainly for my exam, I don't know whether it's a, a proving wrong, but I do. there's a certain sense of proving something. I don't, I, I don't mm. know what that is. Um, and then the same happened in my AS levels and A levels, you know, predicted lower grades than I got, but, you know, just worked hard enough to make sure that I got what I needed to. But that's really unusual because the data around predicted grades, particularly A levels, are phenomenal because there's so much data that goes into the GCSE pot. They know that there's going to be a drop off from GCSE to A level and the predicted grades tend to be absolutely on the money. So going back to that kind of achieving over and above you obviously did something significantly different between your GCSEs and your AS and your A-level feels like to buck that trend feels like a chilled individual with confidence in their own ability to myself in the fact of you know I'll, I'll, I'll do my bit oh right I've got to push a little bit harder oh there we go yeah yeah, yeah um, I, I guess the confidence definitely um, you know the feeling that it was Definitely more to give for those exams because there was there was something next. I had I had this path. Mm. I, I knew what I wanted to do at that point, and, and to be then this is what I needed to do. So that's kind of what I did. Um, and then yeah, went into to dental school um, again. I mean, I I failed one of the courses in on the first year. Resat that, but it was that summer when I retook that exam that I figured out how I retain information, how I learn, and how I study, and kind of understood myself a bit more. Yeah, that's um, interesting. And, and after that, the uh, university was, was fine. And I mean, when I was in VT, uh, I was looking at dental practice. I went to view one um, whilst I was in my VT. Uh, wow. Um, you're a ballsy young man, aren't you? I know. I can imagine <laughs> turning up with a white shirt, like, you know, clean shirt. Just going back to your first year at dental school and you, you, you failed that exam, was that, was that a bit of a reality check for you? Yeah, it was actually, because I, um, I'd probably not failed much up until yeah. then. Mm. Um, I've always been, I mean, when I first set up my Facebook account, it's quite embarrassing actually. I had like a, um, my motto was work hard, play hard, train hard, so everything else is easy. That was like my, my thing. And my first year of uni was, was that. It was, um, you know, I'd spend all day at, at uni working hard but then when we went out we went out pretty hard <laughs> did, you, did you play went, super hard <laughs> everything was was quite uh, not excessive but was sort of 100% you know yeah. there was 100% in everything yeah um, and that was a bit of a slap around the face I was like because loads of friends they were going to uh, going on a Europe interrail trip and I had to stay back and study and it was a bit wow. 
Yeah. Um, it's a bit like we did a clubhouse with Kish and Gin, didn't we, of Smile Clinic Group. Yeah. Smile Clinic Group. <laughs> and they were saying, you know, they came to the end of the first year and they walked up to the board and they'd failed. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, oh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> you know, but I always... Um, you know, I've said it before that everything, no matter how tragic something is in life, if you look back, you'll always find positive outcomes. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. You know, um, even the most tragic of things that happen can can sort of influence positive aspects of life. And you know, if I hadn't have failed, I'd have carried on in year two. Mm doing what I was doing is studying the way I was and actually I'd, I'd have found university a lot more difficult yeah um, I, I certainly found myself that summer and it's a brutal lesson but we learn so much more from failure than the success yeah it's, it's harsh but the reality is if you just keep succeeding everything you don't you don't learn and grow and adapt as mm. much as you as yeah. you do if something doesn't go the interesting thing though is you have to you know it's, it's quite interesting you know your brain saying well you know that's what I you know I learned from that 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 was adversity and I move forward but you have to have that <laughs> that approach to that otherwise failure crushes you yeah you know you, yeah. you've got to have that sort of positive mindset that yeah. says okay that's a little bump yeah. in the road but I can overcome it it's so anyway you're in your white shirt you've turned up to view a practice and you're, mm. you're a foundation dentist pick up the story did you have a high voice um it, it was up and down <laughs> <laughs> um yeah it was um it was in Morecambe of all places wow, yeah. interesting it, it, choice yeah and it was yeah it was that a time. wise choice uh, oh, very good, very good. Brad, Brad, I'm not, Brad's quite young. He might not get that. No, he got it. He got it. <laughs> I'm doing this. <laughs> it's uh, when you slowly disappear out of shot. <laughs> yeah, it just goes black. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, didn't have any idea what we're doing. I thought I, it was almost like a trial run. I guess just uh, probably didn't have any intention of buying it. Although I, I did feel as though, well. If I wanted to, I, I think we could figure this out. I think I could figure it out. Wow. Um, I mean, nothing came of it, um, you know. But but that sort of set, I guess, set an intention. I always sort of felt that I would probably own a practice, mm. have a business, um, only because I felt that if I was going to kind of have a certain trajectory, that's kind of what I needed to do. Mm. Um, I never felt that being an associate forever were, was was kind of what I'd be what I'd be doing, what I'd be mm. looking to do. So, what so was the gap I'd... between being an associate and owning a practice? How long were you an associate for? Um, so, I did VT and then one and a half year. Well, no, I just finished my second VT plus two. Right, right. I was I just turned twenty six. Okay. Um, wow. When um, that's, that's quick out of the blocks. Yeah. Did you buy yeah. an established practice, Brad? Yeah. What was yeah, that like getting funded? I mean, um, you, know, you know, hey, you've only been doing this for two and a half years. <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, I was a high-grossing associate. I had an NHS contract. I mean, I assume this is, well, this certainly seemed like this was one of the reasons. But I had done my VT, did my associate, did one year of that. And in my second year, my one of the other associates, on the halfway through the first year of associateship, one of the other associates would leave him. And because I weirdly had not actually taken on my holiday either I, I chose not to um I'd, I'd overachieved on my contract so the practice gave me 50 percent of another associates as well so i was doing one and a half contracts doing locum in doing some private work yeah. um so your personal growth looked impressive yeah you know cut my hours in my could cut my lunch down to half an hour because i didn't need an hour and i was sat around upstairs and i was like i don't need an hour 
Um, and then, yeah, when it came to looking at going to the bank, I, I had good accounts. Um, wow. You, you know, used everything I'd saved for tax, you know, everything I had. My parents remortgaged part of their property as well so that they could contribute to my deposit. Yeah. Um, wow. They just, just went for it. Just on, on, on that point and your and your family, um, is there is there entrepreneurial flair in the Thornton household? Do you come from a, a long line of entrepreneurs? Um, Chocolatiers. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> I, I don't, I've, I've thought about this quite a bit, just just because I think I've kind of tried to analyse myself a little bit. You know, try and control my emotions and figure out why I do what I do to try and maybe, I guess, refine myself a bit. Mm -hmm. And I thought about this because my brain can be quite restless and chaotic and looking for ideas and, you know... Yeah, I've got that in our phone call this morning. I know, yeah. And and I think rather than having entrepreneurial influence, I think there's certain things that have rubbed off, like, you know, work ethic. And mm. I mean, my mom, every time I was ill when I was a kid, would say, well, go to school. And if you're still ill later, the teacher will ring me so you can come back. <laughs> so I think there was definitely a sense of showing up, always kind of showing up, work ethic. Um, and just competitiveness as well. Like I've done sport. My dad taught karate from a young age and... I've done a lot of sports growing up and martial arts and stuff. And I think I've always been competitive mm. and my dad will probably tell you that it pushed me a bit too much, but he certainly pushed me down that <laughs> route. Um, but where does that drive come from? Because you're, you're very modest and you gloss over it. You were the under 17 European Taekwondo champion. Yeah. So it, it, mm. it's, it's not like, you know, you used to go and play football, your mates, it was a, a yeah. very high level. And where, where did that drive come from? Was that drive, and I don't mean this in a nasty way, was that imposed on you by your father because of his his involvement? Is it, did it come from you? Did you, did you get dragged along? Where, where did it, because obviously that's carried through to your, to your business and entrepreneurial life as well, that drive. Yeah, yeah I think because I was, I mean, I wasn't quite good at first, but I, I was a black belt at nine. I'd, I'd got my second black belt at 12. Um, by that point, I've been training for, for nearly nine years. Um, and I was winning the British Championships and doing wow. Olympians. I fought in Vegas for the USA Nationals at like 16 years old. Um, fought in the Worlds, came runner-up. Like, there was loads of stuff that I'd done. Wow. And I was like, you know what, I'm actually pretty good at this. So it was always like, we, we trained, I trained six days a week for years. Um, and it was very much about, uh, I guess it was just in... in it was in my makeup, which is what I did. Um, mm. my, my dad was, um, he was aware of that and he, he did push me quite a bit, but I was receptive to it because I, I did like to compete. I got nervous as hell. Um, you know, maybe it was the pressure I put on myself as well, but um, I think because I was competitive, the fact that I could win, yeah, that, that just kind of, it was like this yeah. positive feedback that I just kept, you know, kept kept going for. Mm. And then when I eventually got to the point where I went to UNET, um, I think it was the same year, I won the Europeans the same year that Darren Campbell, I think he was, won the 100 metre European Olympics. Um, wow. European, the, the same year. Mm -hmm. I was in our local paper and he was all over national news and I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, my, my parents aren't, you know, they, they've worked hard, but we got a bit of sponsorship. It was difficult and it was a hard graft. And I was like, 
I, I need to figure out where this is going to go. Mm. Um, and I sort of thought, well, I'll go to uni. I'll be a dentist because that's that's really where I should go. Um, and um, yeah, and I guess that competitiveness and that drive and everything just got transferred, channeled into something else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a behaviour thing, isn't it? And it in, I guess it's not just about sport. It kind of just it just courses through your veins, doesn't it? You know, you yeah. just get passionate about about all the things that you do. And, and I mean, and you must enjoy it. I think that's the only oh, thing that goes yeah. with it, isn't it? If yeah. you don't enjoy it, it's just like why bother? Yeah. You can put all the commitment in, but then I think that you have to you have to have that sort of core enjoyment yeah. of either whatever you're doing or the success that goes with it to keep doing it. Otherwise, the danger is you sort of just filter out a bit, don't you? Because you're not yeah. really committed to it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think I think the the enjoyment is the that you know that guy who shovels the coal into the engine mm. that's your enjoyment isn't it and you know if yeah. you're you're trundling along and you don't have that you just run out of steam you know you can be as you know you can try your best but if you're not enjoying it it doesn't matter well, it's so interesting when you were saying earlier i was thinking that the, the you know what i hear is that that no matter what you do or do or, or did it's that thing about being the best at what you do, whether it be making a cup of tea, I, you know, in that I want to do it right. I want to get it. <laughs> there we go. I want to get it right. And, and it's that being the best at what you're doing. Yeah. It might not be the world's most exciting thing, mm. but it's being the best. It's so, one of I can do this. I can David really get this right. talks about that. The, the, the guy that was a, the Formula One driver, he, he says exactly that. He says everything he does, he wants it to be the best best in that moment so whether yeah. he's cooking dinner or ironing his clothes or whatever it is he, he says you know we should always give everything because if you then really enjoy all those small moments life becomes more enjoyable as opposed to waiting for these big things that you take enjoyment yeah, from. yeah, yeah. yeah. and i guess david you know when you've had success for a certain level i guess you you're not your expectations but it's not unusual to think well maybe if you do this you know business uh, like business ideas or practice like if i thought about you know when i said to the girls when i mean we've we've we put it on hold at the moment but when we're looking to get reviews google reviews um i mean i was saying to my accounts manager who um, has an office upstairs i was like you know what I want to try and have the most number of reviews. I want it to be the, the highest review dental practice in the country. You know, it's not going to happen now, or but you know, thinking on a national scale or a big scale, um, you know, at least if you aim for that and try. Yeah. Oh, but like you say, if you if you put an audacious target out there and you go yeah. after it, if you fall short, you're going to be a lot long way further forward mm. than you yeah. would have been, and you'd have gone past an awful lot of other people on the way. Yeah. yeah. We yeah, say I aim for the sky, don't you? If you aim for the sky, you might hit the top of the trees. But yeah. If you aim for the trees, you might hit the bottom of the trunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just trip up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. Oops. There's a rope. <laughs> oh, by, by the way, we're nowhere near that. <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's great to have it as a, as a long-term ambition. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I think very often we get caught up in very short-term goals. Mm, definitely. Whereas if it's nice to have a real long-term view as to where it could yeah. end up. And then you put in place the short-term things that, that kind of get you there. So as a, as a principle, very often we, we also talk to lots of dentists and, and in particular lots of principals. And many of them find just 
owning and running a dental practice completely and utterly consumed. Yeah. They, they, they find that that dominates their world. They have no space for anything else. They're with patients. They're running their business. They can barely have a life outside of that world. You've obviously enabled a, a, a structure and infrastructure within your life where you have your dental practice, um, you have your, your family. I, I know you've been involved in other businesses. You're continually looking at new ideas and investing in new ventures. Is there, is there a system to how you manage that so that you're able to do so much or is it literally just you just work relentlessly because I'm sure lots of people will look at it and say well I just don't know how you do it I know mm. we've all got 24 hours but mine just seems to get filled up with a bunch of other stuff so how does Brad do Brad's it? got 28 yes yeah <laughs> yeah I think um, I, I'd probably ring fence family stuff I think that's something that's quite that's, that's evolves quite a bit I must admit that since having kids, there were certain red lines that have been that have been drawn in that weren't there before. Yeah. Um, I mean, I used to stay later than my proposed finish time to see patients and to do and all that stuff. Um, but now, when I finish, I'm gone. That's it. Because especially when I work till seven, mm. I need to be home for the kids. So there are certain certain red lines. So great to have those, Brent. So great to put those yeah. in. Um, and you know what? It's, it's listening to guys like you. You know, I mean, um, I mean, Andy's sort of talking to you about and just getting just little nuggets from from you. It sort of does make me realise things that you need to put in place because otherwise, stuff just gets carried away with you. You end up being, if you're not proactive, you're reactive, aren't you? You're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, know, you need to kind of make the effort. Um, and as a principle, it's really easy to be reactive because everybody wants you to do stuff for them. And it's like, um, but yeah, I think, yeah, being a, being a practice principle is difficult and, and, and having everything within the practice that is in theory your responsibility can be quite a burden. But I mean, I have learned over the years that I, I think I've got a limited amount of pressure and stress that I can take. And actually, if I've got a few different projects, it's not multiplied up, it's dispersed between them. And I actually feel calmer if I've got some allocated time that I can spend to take my brain away from the practice. I actually mm. find it's quite helpful. Mm. Um, and my early mornings are just a godsend to me. I mean, even though I have read the 5am club, I have read Miracle Morning, I've read all of that. All of that. I was already doing it, so I was kind of reading this going, yep. and um so for me that the time comes and it's priorities as well you know you don't manage time you manage your priorities so Mm. it's it's about knowing what you want to do trying to focus until you finish it and delegating the good thing about a principle you know having to practice is that you've got some human asset there you've got people who can actually do things that you can delegate to Mm. And, and it's about learning how to do that properly. Um, and trusting. And trusting, letting go. You know, not if you micromanage, um, you're not giving them opportunity to shine, but you're also not identifying weakness. So you mm-hmm. kind of need to delegate to, to figure out the other one. So, so, mm. so in a weird way, whilst lots of people find being a principal um, all-consuming, are you saying that as a principal, it, it actually affords you a degree of freedom to look at things outside of the practice because you've got this infrastructure that's, that's working away in the background to, to give you that space to step away? Yeah, yeah, I do. Certainly, the, I mean, it's like having people and staff. Um, that's really helpful. Plus, I've got associates. 
Um, you know, we're in a position now where, and there was a, some a good few years of seriously hard graft. You know, when I walked in at 9am on September the 1st, I think it was, I mean, I was walking down the street towards the front door. I'd taken a day off work from my associate job to, to, to start my principal job because it was a slight overlap. Right. Um, and I'd not received confirmation from the solicitor yet. I put my hand on the door handle, opened it, read the, literally, it was like the universe was speaking. And I read the email as I opened the front door saying, congratulations, you are now the owner of. Oh, wow. Morning. <laughs> uh, you know, but, um, the, uh, wow. uh, they actually didn't know I was coming. One of the uh, one of the previous associates uh, had had a, had a neon a windowsill, and he was cleaning the inside of one of the windows upstairs. Um, and he went, like, "Look, I've got an email that morning, says." Morning. Get down from there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was. I mean, I had some huge ambition, and and, and I thought that it would be really easy. Um, and, and effectively I'd, I'd kind of spoke with the bank and gone right well this is my gross I'll do that here a, and you know and it was just like XYZ bank done yeah. you know, that, that's just what I've got to do um, but the books weren't that busy so what was the reality the, like? oh yeah the, the staff were paid every Friday with an envelope of cash oh wow you know, that gives wow, you an idea. Because like like, like, that's not that long ago, is it? This is only back in 2010. 2010, yeah. All the cash that was get, taken by the practice was kept and then distributed at the end of the end of the uh, end of the week. Oh, it's, um, like that. it's like a, a mill, isn't it? It's like a yeah, mill where like, you turn that up and that little man yeah. gives you a brown envelope and that's again and spend your beer money. That's it. But that kind of gives you a flavour of it. And I being sort of wet behind these didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I mean, by due diligence, I was sat on my room floor with two massive M folders looking page by page of due, due diligence and going, right, yeah, cool, that looks good. Yep, that all, you know, not really understanding what I was looking at. You're probably at. not really too sure what you're looking at. No, you, we, we, we spoke to somebody else on, on, on another episode and I was saying that I genuinely believe that naivety is a superpower. Yeah. I think naivety in business is a great, a great thing to have because if we really knew oh, yeah, yeah, everything yeah. that was coming down the line, you just talk yourself out of doing yeah, so much definitely. stuff. Yeah, if you really knew all the challenges that you were going to have coming down the line as a, as a business owner in those first first periods, you might have thought more deeply about it because it would just feel and sound overwhelming. So that, that naivety of sitting there on the floor with your, your two envelopes of due diligence and just going, well, it looks okay to me. That, that, I think sometimes you need that. You need that yeah. to, get, to keep going. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, just, just, you know, that gives you a, a sort of an idea of what the practice was like. It was fully private. They had them plan and um, had to work hard for every patient, you know, build the reputation. I went for I took over. I mean, the guy who I replaced, because the previous owner stayed on, his mate from unit, and then the third dentist surgery um, had left six months previous to that. So his diary had just fizzled out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was doing four days anyway, and I went in and I opened up six days. Oh, so I was just available all yeah. the time. 
um, then just just kind of work to just build it up. And, and how did you find it? I mean, now we've moved into almost like a, a new renaissance where there's lots of, of young entrepreneurs and business owners. Mm. You know, you see lots of people kind of almost late teens, early 20s who are owning and running really successful businesses. But back in 2010, what age were you back then, Brad? You were um, mid yeah, so as a business owner of a dental practice in 2010, as a 26-year-old person, you really were an outlier. You weren't somebody that fitted the mold. How did that feel and how were you treated as somebody at that age in that position? Yeah, I think um, part of me it felt just normal, like it was quite uh, a comfortable position. There was a little bit of imposter syndrome as well. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'd, I'd come from quite a... So high neglect area of, of Bradford doing my associate position to Horsforth, quite an affluent area where I might have a, like a judge coming through or a consultant surgeon as a patient. And I'm the new owner as a 26 year old guy with what was longer and fuller blonde, spiky hair. Wow. Um, <laughs> And just part of me thinking, but then it just kind of realised, well, actually, one is because, of course, you know, you're in that situation, and you know, you've got there for a reason. It didn't, it didn't happen by. I, I wasn't gifted anything. I, it I mean, wasn't chance, was it? Exactly. Yeah, my, my, my parents helped me out, but I paid them back. You know, it hmm. was it was a loan they got on my behalf, and then I paid them back. Yeah. Um, so it was sort of, you know, there was no family money. I wasn't given it. It was not. It was just I'd, I'd worked and I'd got it, and I thought, well, actually, you know what. I've got, I've got here. You've earned, I, it, you've earned it by right, isn't it? Yeah, so I, I became more comfortable with that. Uh, I think quite a lot of people who I went to university with felt that it was maybe expected. You know, they, I, I don't think it seemed like it was too much of a surprise. That's interesting, uh, isn't it? Because you well, wonder whether some of them would have thought, oh, 26, you're mad, you're too young. But well, obviously you'd created this... Uh, aura about you that people knew what you were like so therefore when you actually followed through it's like yeah <laughs> we thought yeah. we'd probably do that mm. that's fascinating and so you bought the business but obviously that that wasn't enough because since then you've you've started other businesses you've invested in other businesses i know you've got other bits and pieces in the pipeline <laughs> why why at that point didn't you just say i'm just going to have a phenomenal dental practice and, and there you go what, what kind of dragged you off in that direction I think I think dentistry does does enable to be people to be entrepreneurial, but that doesn't mean that everybody in dentistry is no, entrepreneurial. Yeah, I, th- I think with the general practice, you actually get quite you get to scratch that itch a bit, don't you? You know, because you've got a bit of marketing, you've got a bit of this, you've got a bit yeah. of that. And it all kind of. Um, but my initial kind of business ideas and and things that I did in those first sort of five or six years were, were quite linked to practice. So um, it was HTML 105. The, <laughs> you, know, you had to do, get TST strips in the autoclave. You had to pouch everything. You had to do all this stuff. And I was like, right, if I had a business that did then I'll buy off my own business, but then sell to others. Um so that that that, that company, I mean, it still exists now. It's verified. Plus, they you know they sell so through CTS, um, you know, six seven figure business. It was you know it was it did it did pretty well. Um, mm. Sort of whitening as well. Um, a tooth whitening company that still is going now. Toothpaste sold in boots. Um, all the whitening stuff. Um, and that was again because I was like, well, 
if you can have these businesses mm. that are linked, you can benefit from other dentists, but also you can reduce your overheads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's a great casualness, though, Brad. To be honest, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I, I wasn't aware of your your sort of business dynamics, and it's like, oh well, yeah, you know, a, a toothpaste there, a tooth whitening, and oh, the pouching off. I think it's great because you have to have that mentality to say, well, hang on, what about what about what about? Oh, I could yeah. do this, I could do that. That's brilliant. And I think um, the sort of how things have evolved over the years. Um, where I'm at now it's about things that are going to benefit dentistry you know it's what is going to benefit the industry you know we're at a point where I think the industry's taking a battering um, and you know is there is there things that can be done to just improve mm. dentists dentistry mm. and, and what are pain points and what are things that would make people's lives easier how can we improve certain, certain elements so the Things that are, that are, you know, that I'm sort of dealing with at the moment and, and ideas that we've got is, is kind of around that. Mm. Problem solving and it's improving. Mm. Uh, things have to be exciting, though. You know, yeah. we need to do something that's exciting as well. Mm. So uh, have all your ventures been in or around the dental profession? Uh, the successful ones have. It's... <laughs> 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 uh, there's been a couple of other ones that are non-dental, so e-com stuff and, and right, uh, yeah. supplements, which were, were me getting excited about something, you know, investing in ideas and working with people. And, and it kind of fizzles out because it's not, I don't think it's what my core, it's that problem solving, it's stuff that I understand. Yeah. I was going to say, is it perhaps not coincidental that the ones that do well are in the market that you're invested in, yeah. you understand, you're passionate yeah. about, and, and the other ones were opportunities that look good on first glance or, <laughs> you know, the person behind it was very enthusiastic or quite, quite persuasive, but it didn't really yeah. strike a core with you? Yeah, no, that, you've, you've hit the nail on the head. It's kind of... Um, I mean, there was one that was dental related, which was lead generation stuff. And we, we, we generated leads for practices. We worked about six or seven practices around the country. And the, the idea was to grow. And it was actually working quite well. Mm. But that was a reflection on, you know, finding the right person to, to be part of a, a company with and making sure that you've got um, alignment with your ideas and, and you have to market the crap out of it don't you to get that yeah. that number of people to ring that number or email that yeah. well because because we had a similar yeah. thought but when we started to look at it we said to really make a big dent you're gonna have to throw so much money at it to yeah. be able to generate it and we found that that some of the dentists weren't particularly keen on getting referrals or more yeah. importantly paying for referrals and we just yeah. thought that actually it probably just what not something that is our bag really just yeah. outside of our skill set yeah i mean what i always tend to do with ideas i'll kind of think of the best possible outcome it's like how, how could this end up if this if this worked really well is this a good idea and then sort of track backwards mm. so yeah. look at it optimistically rather than pessimistically and i think sometimes that that historically that's made me leap a bit too quickly um, but you sort of learn from that and you get to pick up on the signs where you're like, actually, maybe this isn't something that's going to work. Mm. Um, but also, I think if you leap too quickly, I think it was Barack Obama that, that said, somebody was asked about, you know, um, as a president, you know, how you make decisions. And he said 51%. Mm. When, as soon as you get to 51%, make a decision. 
yeah. and move forward and be prepared to yeah. make another decision and change your position if you mm. need to. Yeah. He said, if you just keep waiting, sure you've got all the data and all the information, it will be too late. So yeah. I think, yes, there were risks in perhaps moving too quickly, but I think at least you're making a decision that mm. something's happening and then you can change your position if you need to down the line. Yeah. Which is, which is yeah. a smart thing. Yeah, I think you know, analysis paralysis, if you spend too long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't regret anything that, that hasn't worked out. There's always been things that I've learned to do with certain marketing strategies and yeah. engaging audiences and stuff that can be then brought into dentistry. Mm. And it's just that, you know, you, you kind of take from all these different areas and then you end up subconsciously creating. Mm. You know, a learned experience, don't you? And, and yeah, uh, there's always a takeaway, isn't there? From whatever yeah. it might be, there's always a takeaway. Whether it's a, I'm not going to do that again, <laughs> or, yeah. or that that little bit worked somewhere in there, but the rest of it didn't work. Yeah. There's always a takeaway to learn from. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you, I see you as being pretty much on 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 the edge. Of, of the entrepreneurial world in dentistry. You know, most people within dentistry, um, we, you know, fall into different groups and different camps. And there are lots of people who are very entrepreneurial. Mm. You're definitely in that camp, but I see you as being towards the edge of that. So what would you say are the key ingredients to, to living an entrepreneurial life, but safely? What would you say are the, are the key ingredients that people need to factor into their, their assessment if they're at the stage where they're thinking about wanting to do more from a, from, from a business perspective? What, what's, what's worked for you? Um, I think I've now I've not done this all the time, but I do think this concept of single tasking is is important. It's yeah. really easy, I think. If your if your brain is is wired a certain way that you know you try and do a lot, or you know you've got like this what is it like startup syndrome where it's like right we'll start that boom right we'll start that boom, mm. and then you lose your excitement and it just goes and it fizzles out. Um, so you know really try and try and single task. Do you know try and finish something to the point where it can be delegated or, you know, delegated out or, yeah. you know, get, you know, get some element of completion with it. Mm. Uh, I think that's really important. Um, I do think, which I don't think this is a contradiction, but I think that, um, I think always be optimistic. You know, it's like what mm. you were saying, you know, yeah, be cautious and try to choose your sort of, where you're going to put your money, especially your money, but your time, your money, your energy, try and choose that wisely, but also be optimistic. I think rather than looking at the number of issues you might have on the way or the problems or the obstacles, kind of think, right, well, this is what I want to do. This is the outcome that I'm looking at. Yeah. Um, what is it that I need to do to get to that? Hmm. You know, think think optimistically and say, right, well, is that a good idea? Is that a good outcome? And And what do I need to do to get there? And, and I think on that particular point, I think a lot of people, because that's kind of just a core mindset thing, isn't it? Mm -hmm. And I think lots of people really struggle with that. That's not a default setting for lots of people. They have to work really hard to, to think and be optimistic in terms of their, mm, their, their outlook. Yeah, and definitely. I think the more you do things, the more you try things and the more things work out, the more you see that being optimistic works in your favour. But I think it is a bit of a, I think it's one of those muscles you need to work out a bit before it becomes um, second nature. Mm. Yeah. And, um, and similarly, I guess, 
know what your exit is as well. Like if you've got these ideas, kind of have an idea of where the end is going to be. What what is it that you're going to do? Um, you know, if you're thinking of a supplemental business on the side, because you know, your dental practice really is a dentist. You kind of unless you're um, you know highly successful somewhere else, you kind of your dental practice is probably going to be the the thing that's going to feed everything else, or your dental. If you're an associate, you know, mm. your dental pay packet, you're going to struggle to be that for a heck of a long time with anything else. Mm, definitely. Um, um, and, but, but so know where your exit is. You know, are you going to be slogging away for 10 years or 15 years? Just, mm. you know, just well, what's, the, what's the end goal? Mm. Um, I think a lot of people don't, don't think of that. Um, mm. and, and, you know, take the emotion out of it and say, right, well, where, where's this going? You know, mm. what, what do I want the end point to be? And then, almost set a target and 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 stick to it mm-hmm. yeah. have you through your business life have you needed to have those conversations with other people at the beginning as well to make sure yeah. that your interests are aligned because i mean uh, we're so chris mm-hmm. and i we've got uh, six seven different different businesses with a number of different business partners and you know some of them at some point may well get sold but having those conversations with the other people involved in those businesses early on is quite important. I didn't know whether you, you've you been yeah. in that situation. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the one that jumps out the most is, and this was probably the first one, was where that conversation wasn't had at the beginning. Right. It was had a few years in when we were at a point where, you know, it was a multi-million pound business. And I was like, right, well, I've got 20% of this. Um, you know what's the what, what are we you know where we're we going with it you know what what's the point at which mm. we're going and you know my impression was that they, we were all going to sell but actually there was three directors one of them who was the MD wasn't really not really nice guys you know got nothing against them yeah. you know friends now um, but he's an entrepreneur mm-hmm. you know like the idea of a job and we didn't want her to sell and this was just going to pay him forever and i was like this is this is this is a, you know and that was one of the main reasons why i actually exited out of that business it was for that reason i was like well i'll, I'll exit now we'll do a share buyback the business will buy my shares you know we'll and i'll just get out even though i think that that business has got um huge potential and is no doubt doing a lot better than it was when i was there now um but I, you know, it was like selling a dental practice, you know, and I've, I've done well out of it, and, I, and you know, I can re, re, you know, reassign that mm. that money somewhere else. Mm. Um, so I felt happy about that. Yeah, um, but a good lesson, like, but a good lesson for yourself as well. In yeah, it sounds yeah. to me like you wouldn't end up in a situation where you wouldn't be having that conversation very early on with a potential yeah. partner. Yeah. Yeah, and that was it. And at that point, I was like, you know what, this needs to be more explicit. You know, we need to be open about this really early on. So it's, it's a conversation that I have quite quite early on now when talking to people. We say it to guys when they do partnerships, we say, you know, it's a bit like a prenup. Get your deal sorted before you actually sign it when you all like each other rather yeah. than trying to sort it out later on down the line when neither someone's circumstances change. Because if you've got it written down, then the answer is that's what the way it works and it removes stress it removes hassle it's but it but a lot of people forget that bit but also it's inevitable a business relationship at some point is going to come to an end 
And whether it, it's through, you know, a, a general agreement to sell or one party sells or it's acrimoniously, whatever, however it comes about, it is going to end at some point. Therefore, logic says if you have that conversation right at the beginning and kind of have a pathway of what that looks mm. like, it makes sense. But then I think some people either, through whether it's through naivety or just potentially thinking it's an awkward conversation, just never quite get round to it. I think it's as Brad says, they don't think about the exit. I think, yeah, I think you're dead right in the fact of people don't think about what the end end game is and how you finish it. So they never explore the getting it documented before it happens. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually, I say exact same thing as that, you know, make, make decisions when you like each other. Yeah. So that when you don't, or if you don't, you've got something to go back to. Mm, Uh, Definitely. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, you know, I've had a few few legal bits and pieces over the years off the back of not having that, and it's just too much of a headache. It's uh, a headache, isn't it? It's a stress, yeah, it's, let, let alone a cost. It just does really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and also going back to that single task thing, which I, I love. I think multitasking is hugely overrated. But yeah. if you're involved in some sort of, you know, uh, legal battle or dispute or whatever, in that moment, that's your focus, that's your task. So all the other positive things you're mm. trying to get to and all the opportunities and, takes and, and your way, the optimism, yeah. you get drawn back. And, and it also affects your mood for that day. It's then hard to suddenly flick yourself into that really positive oh. mood of doing things <laughs> because you've been dealing with something that's contentious. Yeah. Yeah, you've, uh, you know, one of the reasons I do my uh, videos for you, Andy, in the morning <laughs> is, is actually the way I the way I deal with a Monday is the way my week goes, the way I, I am in the morning dictates my day. The way, you know, yeah. the, the, the first thing tends to be how I carry the rest of the day or the week. Yes. So, you know, I work hard to make sure that my morning is high energy. Yeah. Um, and I think there's massive, there's huge, I mean, well, there's a saying, isn't there? Did, you know, did you get out of bed on the wrong side? Yeah. Because it's that thing where if things don't start well, and we all decide how our day goes, yeah, nobody yeah. else does it. We, we do it on ourselves. And if you wake up and consciously say, I'm going to have a good day and these are the things I'm grateful for and this is how my day is going to look, you're much more likely to have a good day and good things will happen to I'm you. I'm just thinking what Brad's car playlist is. It's high high octane. I won't ask him, but he does a great Goggins. He does a great David Goggins, believe me. (laughs) I could just imagine. I I thought these videos were for my benefit, but actually for your benefit, aren't they? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah. And uh, like people around you, you bring people up and, you know, you just feed off each other, don't you? Oh, completely. Completely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you're... The stuff you're doing is great. I think your style's nice. Um, I think the success you've had um, pretty young in the sporting world, there's an absolute link between that and what you're doing now in that focus, that drive, that quest for success. Um, I I think there's so many things that just join up. And I I think, you know, there's there's so much more that you're going to crack on with as well. Yeah, yeah, I guess, uh, yeah, cheers, mate. <laughs> no, no, it is like I say, I, I, like I say, I think uh, we should end up with a who are. Well, I, I think a lot, a lot of the reason we wanted to do this was to tell stories like, yeah, it's brilliant, have a bit of fun, have a giggle, have a chat, but also inspire people. Yeah. You know, those things about being optimistic. There's a lot of people that get caught in kind of Groundhog Day, they just keep kind of circling around the plug hole and they're not quite sure where they're going. Whereas, I think if you hear stories of people who are doing things and are taking it, you know, with, with energy and passion, mm. if one person listens to this and it, and it uplifts them or they have a better day or it gives 
ease and that confidence mm. to do the thing they're thinking about, then that's that's been. But well it's not a blinding what? revelation, you know. Some people seem to think there needs to be like this sort of crucial, you know, yeah. one defining moment in my life when I was on the edge of death or something. And the answer is, <laughs> okay, you can still have a defining moment when you're on the edge of death, but it doesn't have to be quite so dramatic. No. You can actually change it's the like, way you do it's, stuff. It's just layers of the onion, you know, like I say, listening <laughs> to you today, Brad, all the things that you've done and have happened, they've all added to your confidence and your skill set and your experience and, you know, looking for more opportunities. It, and it just keeps building out and each time you do something and it goes well and it gives you that confidence and you know the inner confidence and the resources to go and do the next thing mm. and I think people will take a lot a lot from that yeah, so he lays of onions always makes me think of Shrek because doesn't he say donkey say to oh, yeah. that's for Shrek <laughs> ogres are like onions or something so whenever anyone says it's like an onion in my head I instantly see donkey in a field <laughs> it's just when you do your impression of donkey <laughs> 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 so we, we um, I know you've got a patient later on, Brad. We won't keep you, but when we when we wrap up, we always ask people two questions, and we always say that if you could be the fly on the wall in a situation, if you could put yourself on a, on a wall and just observe a situation, is there a situation that you'd love just to be there watching? Mm. You know what? I, I think rather than a situation, I think it's more. Do you know someone you mentioned Barack Obama? Yeah. Was, you know. He, he, Someone of power, political power, business, some like a leader, but I think someone like him, he's talking about that 51%. I'd like to see what that looks like in yeah. practical terms. You know, what you know, what is his process, you know, the, the amount of responsibility, whether you're political or not, whether you believe in what people do or not, but actually yeah. the amount of pressure and it's global people, stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's just like, you know, to you know, we think we've got stressful lives, but to be able to observe somebody who can, you know, not only sort of deal with that, but, you know, in some cases, like, you know, overcome a significant amount of stress and make some mm. decisions. Um, I'd, I'd just love to see what that looks like. Mm. You know, and also live, live with the consequences of yeah. those decisions yeah. as well, isn't it? Because in that moment, you make that decision and then the potential ramifications, um, mm. you know, we, we make decisions within our own businesses that affect our environment, the people we work with, our teams or our families. But No one dies. No, to be making decisions which could affect, you know, the course of, of the planet. Mm. Um, that's, that's big, isn't it? Yeah, no, that'd be a fascinating thing to, yeah. to watch. And that's sort of 51% or, you know, that decision change, decision change. You know what, in a modern world, people don't really allow that you know no. they don't allow experimentation and, and they don't allow testing it's right you need to know what, what's going on and if it's if, if you change your mind then it's wrong and yeah. you make a you turned so yeah just seeing that I think it'd be fascinating no, it would be. It would be. And if you could, if you could meet somebody, you could sit down with um, a cup of tea, coffee, dinner with somebody, um, either from days of old, and they're still with us, you know, fact or fiction. Who would you? Who would you like to sit down and have a have a cup of tea with? Um, Winston Churchill, and he can bring the drinks. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a good night, wouldn't it? <laughs> um, I mean. Probably, you know what, similar to that, something like Jeff Bezos, something like that, you know, yeah. some, a, a person of, who I think is of um, great insight into the modern world who, you know, forget the pun, but it's kind of got almost like got a bird's eye view of the world. 
you yeah. know, and and it's just got the resource to be able to think literally outside of Earth mm. and just sit down and just chat to a guy like that. Um, mm. You know, somebody who has become so big and successful that is now challenging himself with things not of this earth. You know, it's, yeah. Um, so yeah, just just having a conversation with him. I've actually watched quite a lot of his talks and mm. interviews, and I just find him, you know, a really interesting person who mm. just has such a, a good insight on so many different things. Uh, uh, yeah, I think he would be fascinating. And, and with somebody like that, is it? Did he always know? Was there any moment that he doubted it was going to end up where it was, or was he also blown away with where it went? He you know, so when he was sitting at that desk in that garage, <laughs> did he sit there and say, "One day I'm going to be the biggest in my chosen field mm. on the planet, and I'm going to completely revolutionise the world of retailing, mm. and I'm going to revolutionise the world of payment systems, and I'm going to, you know, mm. did, did he?" see the future and know it was coming or was he blown away with a lot of other people that couldn't believe quite how it how it unrolled yeah um, there was an interesting thing he said he, was, he said um, when when he, when i told my sort of mom and dad about amazon.com and that it's uh, going to be an internet bookshop that was the first thing it was like the first thing that all his family and close people around him said was what's the internet that was that was the first thing, you know. And it's just like just imagine with that idea, you know. All he knew was that the internet was growing by eighteen thousand percent a year, something mm. ridiculous. Yeah, um, he didn't know much, but he knew that he knew mm. that books had the biggest number of of things to sell. You know, typical books are hard every thousands to mm. sell or hundreds, but yeah. there were millions of books in circulation. So books, internet, you know, so. Um, but yeah, to have people not having absolutely no idea what you're on about mm. and still yeah. feeling, still, you know, um, leaving a, a job on Wall Street to pursue mm. it. And it's uh, interesting. I mean, they got their robots, haven't they? They just yeah. launched their robots. And that's another one where people really have no idea what how that's going to work. No. It's an interesting point, what you say, the fact of someone who has that money and that power and that foresight to say, hmm, I've thought about maybe redesigning a wheel. Yeah. So let's go and throw $57 billion at it just to see. It's, it's, to have oh, yeah. that all ability to do something would be fascinating, yeah. wouldn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah just, um, just, just, just to pick his brain and just chat and just, yeah, just, uh, yeah, so yeah. I, think, well, uh, I must admit, given, given the way the conversations turned, it doesn't surprise me that you you picked out one of the most incredible entrepreneurs on the planet. Mm. Because I guess yeah. you know that that's kind of a lot of inspiration for you. And and you know, in your own your world, you're doing your own things. So like I say, it didn't didn't surprise no, me. No. That was kind of where we where we ended up. I've, I've really enjoyed the chat, Brad. It's been really really good, really enjoyable. Yeah, and really I think to get kind of the inside track on how you do your things and how you think, I, I think will be of. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, you should hear so much about what you've done at a, a young age. You know, that's the, the other thing, yeah. isn't it? You know, that hopefully, as we were saying, it will inspire others to think, oh, actually, uh, I can do something. I can change. Yeah. I can create change. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. No, yeah. brilliant. No, lovely. Yeah, cheers, Brad. That was really yeah, happy. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. Much appreciated. No, yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. No, nah, not at no, all. Not at all. Look at yourself, Brad. Cheers. Cheers. 
So we had a conversation with Dr. Brad Thornton and what an absolute star he turned out to be. Amazing. I, I mean, that, that thing, obviously, you know better than I do, but to, to be, what was it, European under 17s Taekwondo champion. And uh, that, that, that dedication and commitment yeah. is obviously transferred mm. into his business attitude. Yeah. I don't think it's a, it's a prerequisite. I think you can get passion and drive and desire come at you at different stages in your life. But when you understood the things he'd done as a younger person, you know, knowing when he was choosing his GCSEs, he wanted to be a dentist yes. <laughs> and starting Taekwondo so young and having international success. Mm. It didn't surprise me that when he then said uh, as a as a FD, he was viewing dental practice to buy them and bought his dental practice at 26. Yeah. It didn't come as a surprise to me. No. But also all the other entrepreneurial interests and businesses that he'd either started up or invested in or been involved in, He's a he's a serious entrepreneur. It's so casual about it. Yeah, oh, that's what I love. Is it? Well, yeah, you know, I did uh, toothpaste that's now boots or whatever. I can't remember what it was, yeah. but you know, there's a couple of things. I think in a way that there's something massively appealing, isn't there, about that relaxed confidence? Because oh. we've all met arrogant. Yeah, what's it? Oh, there's, there's, there's none like, of that. There's oh, none of that man, there at all. You know, stop telling me how yeah. brilliant you are. Whereas, whereas Brad was <laughs> was the reverse mm. camp. You almost had to sort of tease yeah. his successes out of oh, him. Oh, absolutely. Because he wasn't going. Yeah, right. I've done this. I've done that. He was it's very thought, fascinating. I love that entrepreneurial trait, which is I feel relaxed and comfortable, and I've got a lot of things on, mm. and I've got lots of things that I can give my single focus to. Mm. It frees me up from the day-to-day -day drudgery of, of perhaps just having one business, yeah. and I can I can relate to that up to a point yeah. as well. In that we've got a number of different areas that that we it's work brilliant. on, and not having to prove not proving it to anyone else except yourself. He's just trying to be the best version of yeah, himself. You know, he's he's been as I think you know he's been best of the best for him. Yes, not for anyone else. Not to you know win an award not to do this not to be mm. photographed not to be all those yeah. other characteristics mm. that we see but just it's to great. say that just for him to feel that he's been the best of best and when we sort of you know set about thinking about and setting up ontology i hoped it would be fun enjoyable there'd be some really useful business takeaways and it might inspire people. Mm. And I think Brad's going to tick all those boxes. Yeah, definitely. It's a really, great lad. really nice to speak yeah, to. Yeah, that was good. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.